0: You know, it's not often that I hear anything about an airport employee and I think about Jesus. Um, usually it's the exact other way around. Anytime I have inter- any, any interaction with an airport employee, I think they're Satan. Uh, because there's not a whole lot of, uh, um, you know, classes teaching people at the airport to be nice. For me, traveling has to be one of the most stressful events that anyone can possibly do. Especially the more kids you have, the more stressful it is to travel. But something caught my attention the other day. Uh, concerning um, the TSA, the Transportation Safety Administration. Uh, and it, it caught my attention and it made me think of Jesus. And here's what happened. If you did not hear what happened uh, in the middle of March, the, uh, the TSA decided that they were going to allow passengers to bring pocket knives on airplanes. Did y'all hear about this? Uh, and there was kind of a, a big uproar about the ability to bring pocket knives on airplanes because what had happened uh, on 9-11 and you know, the fear that if, if terrorists could take down an airplane with box cutters... Uh, that are smaller than a two and three-quarter inch uh, blade that somebody with a pocket knife could do more and I was listening by chance I was just listening to the radio and they were doing an interview about this situation because TSA was saying there's no way you know and and the flight attendants and the pilots were saying you cannot allow knives on planes and the TSA guy was saying listen it's it's no big deal anymore and someone made this statement I actually want to read it to you because because when I heard it um, I actually pulled out my, my iPhone and, and, and I spoke it into my little notes thing because I thought, that is just an unbelievable quote. And unfortunately, like I said, it, it reminded me of Jesus. Here's, here's what the guy said when he was talking about why this change was made in and in about allowing knives on planes. He said this. He said, nearly 11 years after 9-11, the event doesn't really have any real impact on our day-to-day lives or any of our travel plans. It's simply become an anniversary that's an afterthought for many, except on the day itself. he said, really doesn't impact anymore our day-to-day lives. It doesn't impact the way we think, the way we travel. Except on the anniversary itself, it's, it's kind of an afterthought for most. And as I was getting into the Easter season, I thought, man, how true is that statement in relationship to the resurrection of Jesus? It's an event that at first took the world by storm. And as a matter of fact, over the first Few hundred years that jesus rose from the dead. I mean the church blossomed into uh, uh, The largest global religion in the world which it continues to today But I thought about the resurrection of jesus and I thought how many people In our world Easter to them Jesus raising from the dead to them is really nothing more than an anniversary That comes around once a year, but it has no impact on their daily life how they live what plans they make, other than the day itself, Jesus raising from the dead is not that big of a deal in our life. You know, as we come together on Easter today, and we open God's Word together to study, it's, it's sad to say, uh, and I believe it's even sadder to admit, that I believe that's where m- much of Christianity lives today. Where Jesus rising from the dead is a huge deal once a year, but it doesn't impact everything that we do on an everyday basis, and it doesn't really impact any of the plans that we've made long-term for our future. They say, well, Christian, that happened 2,000 years ago. You know, it's, it's bound to happen that, you know, as you get further away from a big event, people kind of forget about it. It doesn't have the same impact. But what's interesting is only 20 years after Jesus had raised from the dead, so there are still people walking Planet Earth, 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead, that saw him die, get buried, and saw him raise again. Less than 20 years after Jesus raised from the dead, it had already quit having a big impact on people, other than on a Sunday every now and then, other than maybe once a year on the event itself. And that's where I want to take you today. I want to take you to the Apostle Paul's challenge to the church at Corinth, about 20 years after Jesus had raised from the dead, saying, hey, this is not an anniversary to celebrate once a year. If Jesus is really alive, it has to impact everything about our life. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have your Bible, our ushers are going to come down the Bible because every Sunday we open the Bible, we study it, we teach from it. And if you don't have a Bible today, if you forgot your Bible today, just wave at our ushers and they'll give you one. We've given away more than 400 Bibles since our church started 18 months ago to people just like this. If you don't know where your Bible is, put your name in this one. It's yours. If you just forgot it but you'd like to follow along in Scripture today on your lap or maybe on your phone or on your tablet, um, just let the ushers know. And they're also going to come down uh, and give you a chance to take notes on the back of your bulletin. You'll see kind of a little sermon outline so you can remember, hopefully, a little bit of what we talked about today. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we see Paul challenge a church. And I, I want you to notice the similarities between 1 Corinthians 15 and Journey Church International for those of you who come here often because Paul went to the town of Corinth. Corinth was the Las Vegas of its day. For those of you who maybe aren't real familiar with the ancient world, Corinth was was like the place, like, what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. As a matter of fact, the rest of the world had a phrase that that to get crazy was to Corinthianize. I mean, these people, like, everything went in Corinth. And Paul, who became a Christian in Israel and studied in Jerusalem, decided to go to Corinth and start a church there. And the Bible says that he started a church, and every week for 18 months, they would meet on the Sabbath, that would be Sunday in our vernacular, and he would teach them the Bible, would teach them about Jesus, and a church started. Now, here's the interesting thing. Our church today is 18 months old. Actually, it was last week, but you may have noticed that it snowed a little bit on Palm Sunday, so we did not have church last week. But today would be our 18th month of having services. That's how old the church was in Corinth when Paul on the 18th month, got up before his church and said, hey, God's called me to go do something different. He had a, uh, an associate pastor named Apollos. He said, Apollos is your pastor now, and he left. And three years later, the church started writing him letters, saying, hey, we're trying to do this Christianity thing, um, but no one's coming anymore. And like people are just acting crazy, and so-and-so has gone back to her life of this, and this guy has started back his addiction to this. And they started writing Paul just saying, man, like everything in our church is messed up. And Paul wrote him a letter back and said, hey, if you really want to follow Jesus, here's what you have to do. Um, And they wrote him another letter and said, well, how do we do certain things? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's answering that second letter, and he's reminding them of the thing that's most important in their faith. And he's challenging them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look, he's basically saying this. If Jesus really raised from the dead, then it has to change everything in your life. If he didn't, then no big deal. But if he did, He truly is the Messiah worth following, and it has to impact every part of our life. I ask you the question today, is Easter an anniversary that you celebrate once a year, and Jesus raising from the dead an afterthought the rest of your life, or is the fact that a man died, was buried, and then raised from the dead, is that something you can latch your life and your future and your eternity to, And allow it to change every part of your life. That's the question we ask. That's the challenge Paul's going to give us today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here's what Paul says. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Then at the end we're going to come and read some of the end of the chapter. Paul says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. Now if you have a pen and we should have given you one, I want you to, to circle that word gospel in your Bible, on your sermon notes. I want you to write the word gospel down. Here's the translation of the word gospel. It's good news. That's what it means. Paul says, here's what we preach to you. And he will add, I want to remind you of the gospel we preach to you, which you received on and by which you've taken your stand. Paul said, this is like the most important thing in Christianity. The best news of Christianity is what I'm getting ready to share with you is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15.1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. Underline those two words, first importance. If someone said, what's the most important thing in Christianity, Paul's getting ready to tell us. If someone said, if I only had one message to give to someone about whose Jesus is, what should I say? Paul's getting ready to give. Paul's saying, if you know nothing else about Jesus, here's the most important thing to know about Jesus, 1 Corinthians fifteen three. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. Peter was a nickname. It meant the rock. Uh, Cephas is the Greek word for rock. So he's saying then he appeared to Peter. And then to the twelve. Those are his disciples. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living. Like I said, there were people alive at this time who had seen Jesus die and raise again. He said, though some have fallen asleep, they've died. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what... You believe paul said listen man let's just cut to the bottom line of what it means to be a christian paul started a church he preached there for 18 months on the 18 month anniversary he said goodbye he inserted apollos as pastor then everybody kind of started doing their own thing so they wrote paul a letter and said what do we do paul gets to the end of the letter and he said let's just hang on to this one thing man listen jesus died he was buried and he rose again And that has changed my life. You see, the fact that Jesus died, was buried and raised again, Paul says, changed my past, it changed my future, and it secured my eternal life. If we can hang on to that, it will change everything about us. But Paul said, we can't just forget about it and let it become an anniversary. We can't let it become an afterthought. It's got to impact everything in our lives. Now, here's what you need to know. Because Paul said, listen, I didn't deserve for Jesus to save me I didn't deserve to be forgiven some of you are sitting in here today and the reason you've never established a relationship with Jesus the reason you're uncomfortable sitting on church in church today on Easter your husband or your wife drug you here your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter and you don't even want to be here and you're very uncomfortable with spiritual things Because you're uncomfortable in your own skin and you don't think you belong. You don't think that you deserve to to have God's favor in your life. You feel like you should be ashamed to be around God. Paul said, listen, I didn't deserve anything that Jesus gave me. But he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He changed me. And I'm different. If Jesus died and was buried and rose again, this is indeed good news. But it's good news that has to impact every part of our life. You know, it's interesting as we study the man who wrote these words life. His name is Paul. Uh, He was an apostle called by Jesus to go and start churches all over the world, and he did that. He wrote almost half the New Testament. So we know a lot about Paul. We know his story from others' perspectives. People wrote books about Paul, and Paul wrote books about himself and things that were going on. So we know a lot about Paul. And here's the most important thing to focus on, according to Paul, that Jesus died, was buried, and he raised again. And Paul said, if Jesus is alive, if Jesus is alive, it changes everything. If Jesus is really alive, it has to change everything. And when you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, you can see Paul's life before he recognized that Jesus was alive and he wanted to give his heart to him. And after he had come to that conclusion, and we see a radically different man. Today I want to share two things with you about the life of the Apostle Paul, and I want to share them through the lens of this challenge. Do you have these things in your life? As we look at the Apostle Paul and we see what happened to him, and he is the model, according to 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he said, listen, just you follow me and I'll follow Christ. I'll show you what a Christian looks like. If we look at Paul and we use him as the model of what we're supposed to be spiritually, we're going to see Paul have two things in his life that I'm going to ask you, do you have? And I want you to honestly answer these questions this morning. And listen, we may not see you again till next Easter. And I hope you'll come next Easter. Maybe we won't see you next year till Christmas Eve, and that's fine. I checked the schedule last night. Christmas Eve is still the day before Christmas, and we'll have a Christmas Eve service uh, this December 24th, probably 5 o'clock, hopefully, in this room. And we want you to become a part of that. But perhaps, perhaps this year, Jesus will become more than an anniversary, more than an afterthought. Perhaps this year, looking at Paul's life, looking at your life, you'll say, i want what he had, and maybe it'll take hold, and this will be the year that Jesus, being alive, Changes every aspect of your life. You see, if Jesus is alive, Paul's life shows us that you're going to experience incredible inner peace. You see, if Jesus is alive, you're going to, in your life, experience incredible inner peace. Now, this is a very easy question to ask. It's a difficult question to answer, but here's the question. Do you have inner peace today, right now? Are you comfortable with who you are, with where you're going, with what's going on in your life? Do you fall asleep easily without worrying? Or are you just in inner anguish right now in your life and the way your life is going? Let me ask you this question. Do you have eternal peace right now? You see, one thing that leads to having inner peace is having an eternal peace. Do you know we've had three families in our church this week that have lost a loved one? This week, that next week their funeral will be. From an 11-year-old all the way up to a grandfather in his late 80s. You see, the only time sometimes we can make it through life with inner peace is if we have eternal peace when things are beginning to crumble around us. Or are you somebody who constantly wonders what's next in your life and what's up in the next life? You see, we know who the Apostle Paul was, and we see his life before Jesus. Before Jesus, according to him, he was messed up. Now, I'm from southern Ohio. It's a little bit rednecky. I like to use the word jacked up. His life was jacked up. You can write messed up if you're a little more educated and you like that, but his life was jacked up. Like this dude was crazy. You say, who says who? Him. In 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul said this about himself. And then, and then I want to translate for you, and then I want to illustrate for you so you can say, man, he was jacked up. Like this, this guy had some problems. Um, Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.13, who's Timothy? Timothy's a young guy that Paul was mentoring. Paul started a church in a city called Ephesus. He started a lot of churches. When he left there after three years, he told Timothy, you go be the pastor, and he wrote letters to Timothy to teach him how to be a good pastor, to teach him how to be a good Christian. He was kind of like his young sidekick, his protege. And here's what he said to Timothy. In the first letter he wrote to Timothy, within the first paragraph of his letter to Timothy, reminding Timothy that ministry is all about, first, the change that happens in your own life. He said, Timothy, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, and a violent man. Timothy, I was jacked up. My life was messed up. Timothy, I was not a good guy. When we look at these words, what is a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man? Leave that verse on the screen if you would. You you might want to take some notes here. A blasphemer is someone whose life is offensive to God. Paul said, Timothy, I look at my life, and man, my life used to be really offensive to God. Paul was a spiritually offensive guy according to him. Paul says, I was a persecutor. Now, you study his life, say, who did he persecute? Specifically, he was offensive to religious people. When Paul said, I was a persecutor, he was saying, not only was I offensive to God, but I was offensive to spiritual and religious people. You say, who do you know that you could compare? Who's offensive to religious people? Who are religious people a little sensitive to? Somebody like Charlie Sheen, right? I know he's winning, but he's a little off the rail sometimes. Like, he, he's a little cray, if you know what I mean. It's like, this, this, this guy... This guy is offensive. Like, you don't let your young children listen to anything that he says or does. Like, he's crazy. Um, and then Paul says, I was, a, I was a violent man. According to a statement he would like later, we, we see that Paul was violent, he, that he was oppressive to men. He was oppressive to women. He was oppressive to children. Paul said, man, my life was jacked up. He said, I was offensive to God. I was offensive to people. I was oppressive. I was oppressive. To men, to women, to children, you know, I think about oppressive people, people who are oppressive to everyone in their life, and I think about the North Korean dictatorship of, you know, Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un, who, who are now ruling over a country that, that is the most poverty-stricken, uh, you know, probably undernourished, I mean, one of the worst human rights violators in the history of the world. Of course, we've sent our ambassador, Dennis Rodman, to try to work things out over there for those of you who stay in the news, so... Perhaps that will become better. But right now we look at that and we say, those are not good people. And if you and I were to take a vote on people who go to heaven, we would vote no on Fred Phelps and Charlie Sheen and the Kim Young people in North Korea. We would say like, no, they they don't get to go. They are jacked up people. And Paul said, that's who I was. Paul said, you know, you, you look at someone who has inner peace, you look at someone who's got it all together, you look at someone who, who appears to have things going right in their life, that wasn't me. Timothy, I was messed up, man. I was offensive to God. I was offensive to people. I, I was oppressive towards people. Paul, Paul was not a, a good guy. In Acts 22:4, he he made a really interesting statement, and some of you are just like Paul today. In Acts 22:4, Paul, giving his his story to someone, said, "I need you to know, I persecuted followers of this way. What is that? Christianity. I persecuted Christians to their death. I arrested both men and women, and I threw them into prison. If you study Paul's pre-life before he became a Christian, one thing that turned Paul off to Jesus was Christians. Paul hated Christians." There are some of you in here today, your biggest problem with Jesus is you don't like Christians. You know, I, every now and then I'll have a long plane trip and I'll, I'll have to make a sermon or, you know, read my Bible or prepare for some kind of Bible study on a plane because I'm going to speak somewhere or do something. And I was on a trip and I pulled out my Bible um, and I was reading my Bible and the guy next to me said, what, you know, what, what, are you, what are you reading? And I said, The Bible. And he looked at me, and and this is a very comfortable conversation now, because I've got three hours on a plane next to this guy. And he said, I don't like Christians. Um, And I looked at him, and I said, I don't like Christians either. Um, And it kind of confused him a little bit. But I said, listen, man, I love Jesus. And not all Christians are like Jesus. And there are some Christians I don't like and you shouldn't like. There's some Christians that are really angry and they're really judgmental and that, you know, they want to force you to change your life to become like them. And, you know, it's more about them than it is about Jesus. And, uh, and we got into this conversation. I didn't win him to Christ and he didn't go start a church. I mean, it wasn't one of those things, but it was this thought of someone saying, listen, I don't know so much about Jesus, but I do know Christians and I don't like them. I don't like the way they treat people. I don't like the way they talk about people. I don't like the way they judge people. I, I don't like them. And you know what? Some of you need to realize today, Jesus is not like many of the Christians you know. He's different. And Paul said, I, I struggled with Christians, but when I met Jesus, everything changed. You see, before Jesus, Paul's life was messed up. It, it was jacked up. He, he, he was not a good guy. But after Jesus, we see Paul in a spot in life where he's gone from being messed up to chained up, literally, like he's in jail. But he's okay, He's at peace. He's content. You see someone who's chasing in life this inner peace, someone who wants to feel good about themselves, someone who he finally admitted at the end of the day, I did not like who I was, and I did not have peace about who I was, and I did not have peace about who I was with, and I did not have peace, I with, I didn't have peace about my future or my eternity. I wouldn't cool with any of those things. But I met Jesus, and I ended up in jail. But even in jail, I was okay. Okay. Paul started another church in Philippi. You, you, hopefully you catch the thing. Paul started churches. That, that's what he did. And he wrote, a, he wrote a letter to this church called Philippians. And he said in Philippians chapter 1, he said, I want you to know to this church he's writing to, my brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me in being in prison, it's actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Paul said, I, I'm, I'm in chains, but he said, I'm at peace because people realize that that my life is now lived trying to serve Jesus. In Philippians 4.13, we see this famous verse that is taken so out of context because Evander Holyfield wore it on his boxing trunks when he knocked out Mike Tyson. This thought of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that does not mean you can knock out Mike Tyson if you're a Christian. What it means is Paul's saying, listen, I'm sitting in prison and life is bad. And on the outside, people would look at me and say, your, like, your life is no good. But Paul said, I'm at peace. I'm content. Things are okay. Why? He said, I can do all of this. I can sit in jail. I can lose my job. I can recover from a failed marriage. I can get past the loss of a loved one. Um, I can deal with people at my work that I don't like. I can deal with the economy tanking. I can deal with a bad medical diagnosis. I can figure things out because I'm now relationally attached to Jesus. Some of you in life are, are like Paul. Like, you're living in a prison right now. You hate your job. You hate your marriage. Um, you don't like where you live. You're so financially strapped. I mean, you feel like right now that you're living in, in handcuffs of a bad situation, and you're wondering if there's any contentment or any peace that will ever come to your life. And Paul says, listen, if you will put Jesus first, even when you feel like you're in jail in your life, things not, might, might not be uh, all right, but they're going to be okay. In John 14, 27, Jesus said this to the disciples just hours before he would leave them and be crucified on that cross that we celebrated on Good Friday. He said this to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I don't give to you as the world gives. Sometimes the world will give and take away. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Listen, peace comes in this life from having divine direction at all times. That's why we talk about following Jesus, not just learning Jesus. I want to go where Jesus tells me to go. Listen, peace comes from having divine direction in this life, attaching yourself to one who died and was buried and who rose again. And you get divine protection in the next by attaching yourself to one who died and was buried and rose again. Who better to place your life in the hands of, who better to place your next life in the hands of than someone who died and was buried and lived again. That's a good guy to trust with your eternal investment. If Jesus is alive, Paul said, man, if Jesus is alive, then you've got to have inner peace, and it has to impact every hour of every day. Secondly, Paul said, if Jesus is alive, it will change the outer pursuits of your life. You'll become a different person pursuing different things. Again, we know a lot about the Apostle Paul before he met Jesus, and before he met Jesus... The Apostle Paul said he lived his life chasing perfection. The Apostle Paul was someone who never thought about the now. He always thought about the next. And some of you are in that situation right now. Some of you have just in the last year or two bought a new house and you're already thinking about your next house. Some of you in the last year or two have already bought a new car and you're thinking about your next new car. Some of you have just gotten a raise at work and you're trying to figure out how much your next raise can be. Some of you were just promoted, but you can't wait to leave to go to the next job. You, like, you are pursuing life. You're pursuing success. You're pursuing satisfaction. And my question is, like, when are you going to get to the day where you think, okay, I don't have to pursue anymore? You see, when we pursue anything in life, but having a relationship with God who created us to to be content and satisfied when we're with God, we always want more, and we always find ourselves thinking, what's next? You know, the Apostle Paul shared a story again with the church in Philippians about before he became a Christian. Here's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. Here was his life. He was a grown man. He said, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, if someone is confident in who they are and what they've done, if anyone has achieved more than me, let them speak now, Paul says. If anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, Pharisee. As for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. Look, we we use terminology like the all-American guy here in the United States of America. Paul was the all-Israeli guy. Like he was who everyone wanted to become. He was educated. He was successful. He was a Roman citizen. It appeared that he, that he had some kind of position of influence spiritually and materially. It, it looks like his family had a little pool governmentally. I mean, we look at the life of Paul, and we would look at Paul and say, he's got it made. But you see, Paul is a grown man who'd achieved everything, wondering what's next. What can I do next? How can I elevate myself in the eyes of the people in the world. The world thinks so much of him, yet he thought so little of himself that he had to pursue more and more and more and more and more and more and more. Listen, the Bible says that we're made to be complete only by having a relationship with Jesus. And if that's true, then placing any pursuit above that to find happiness, contentment, joy, success is always going to lead to outer pursuits that are, that are fruitless. You know, you look at Paul's life after Jesus, and it's interesting because before Jesus, he was chasing perfection, and he was loudly boasting that he was about as perfect as they came, but but like, it's like he would have been the guy chosen to play the bachelor, and if you watch that, I mean like he had his stuff together, that that's who every girl would have wanted, but after Jesus, it's interesting because he not only changes his chase, he changes his perspective, after Jesus, he, he chased, or Jesus but he did it in what, what he would refer to as his imperfection. He lived this life boasting. He was the all-Israeli guy. He was the guy who had everything. And he would tell you he had everything. He drove the nice car and went to the nice places and ate at nice restaurants. And he was educated and he was powerful. And his family had I mean, this guy had it all together. But after Jesus, he would say something like this. Listen, at the end of the day, I didn't have any of my stuff together. And I always knew there was something more. You know, it's, it's interesting because some of you today have never connected your life to Jesus. But some of you have. I, I want to talk to the Christians in the room for a minute. Those of you who, who would say, yeah, I've given my heart to Jesus. Some of you have, have given your heart to Jesus, but you've kept your life for yourself. Your spiritual commitment is really too low. You're not chasing Jesus. You may have one day chased heaven and said a prayer so that you could go to heaven because the goal of your Christianity was heaven. But nowhere in Scripture do we see anyone telling anyone to pursue heaven. We see Scripture tell us to pursue a person, not a place. There are a lot of Christians content just knowing where they're going, but they don't live for Jesus. They live for them. Jesus has their heart. He has their eternity. Their life belongs to them. And it's interesting. Some people in the room have quit chasing Jesus Because, I don't know why, maybe you feel like you've caught up with him. Maybe you feel like you checked the right boxes and walked the right aisles and started some good habits and maybe you've served in some leadership positions and you show up at Easter and all you're wondering, you know, is anyone who doesn't go to church going to be here? Is anyone going to get saved? And you're worried about everyone else but you because you've quit worrying about yourself spiritually because you're not in a race anymore. You think you walk with Jesus so you don't worry about chasing him. Which is really interesting because the Apostle Paul, who I, I would assume probably was more spiritually mature than all of us, had this to say about his own spiritual life in First Timothy 1, verses 16 and 17. I love his honesty here. Again, he's talking to his little protege. He said, Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. Like of all the people that could ever become a Christian, I am was the worst. We as Christians love to point fingers and talk about who probably will never become a Christian because of how bad they are. Paul said, I got all of them beat. I was the worst. Verse 16, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You see, the apostle Paul's message to the world sounded more like this. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. Let's do this thing together then like this. I have Jesus, and now you need him too so that you can be as good as me. No, Paul, at the end of his life, still had this desperate need. He was still running this race. It's actually what he referred to. I hope one day I can finish the race. Paul's like, I have not quit running. I'm still trying to pursue Jesus desperately. In Philippians 3.10, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Paul says simply, I want to know Christ. And it's like, Paul, like you wrote the New Testament. Like, if you didn't know him, Like, you're teaching us. Paul's like, no, no, no. you got to, like, in my soul, deep in my heart, I want to know Jesus more. How many of you today sit here on Easter and think in your life, regardless of where I've come from spiritually, regardless of where I am, man, I just want to go to the next level spiritually. You know, our mission statement that's listed on the front of your bulletin, why our church exists, is to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference from the world. And we've determined there are two groups of people that are far from God. There are people who have never been to church they don't know anything about Jesus. They've never been told or they've had a bad experience or they've met some Christians they don't like. or For some reason, they've been disconnected forever. Maybe today's the first day you're hearing that Jesus loves you and you don't have to be like other Christians. You can be like Jesus. But there are some people who are far from God who went to church as a kid, went to church as a middle schooler, went to church as a high schooler, maybe even went to church in college. And at one point, you really walked with God, but... For a year, or five years, or 10 years, or 20 years, or 30 years, you've kind of been checked out, and like you really believe in your soul, and maybe you've given your heart and soul to God, and you'll die when you go to heaven, but you really live far from God. You're not connected. What are we going to do for those of us today who don't need to be saved, but we need to walk more with God? Let me give you some things maybe that you can do to take next steps. If you're an under-committed Christian today who's Celebrating Easter is an anniversary, but it's not changed every minute of your life Let me give you four things that that you can do as you walk away from Easter To have Jesus be more of a part of your everyday life Number one, you can read your Bible In in your uh, bulletin, we put this little card that we gave our people in January And let me tell you why I did this In January, I gave our people a challenge to read the Bible through in a year I gave the statistic that if you read the Bible at the pace that you talk uh, For nine to ten minutes a day you'll read through the entire Bible in a year. Just 10 minutes a day, you'll read through the entire Bible in a year. And I forgot about that challenge. Not a lot of people who the first week were like really on the challenge. And in the first month, they were really on the challenge. But if we were to be honest, there's a bunch of us who started and stopped. And I got a call from a lady in our church this week who, who called me and said, I just wanted you to know my family and I started this challenge and we're all still going strong and holding each other accountable. And I know it's Easter, and I know it's not the beginning of the year, but you should still challenge people to read their Bible because it's changing our life. And I thought, that's a great idea. I will put that in my message. And I called our people, and I said, hey, can we find that little card and put it back in the the deal? Maybe the best thing someone can do today who's undercommitted spiritually is start reading their Bible this year. So we gave them some Bible-reading options, and we gave them some Bible-reading cheat sheets. So maybe the thing you take away from Easter Sunday this year is not, ah, hooray, Jesus raised from the dead, but... I need to get back engaged spiritually and start by reading my Bible. Maybe you need to start by praying. Next month, starting a new series at our church called Big, and we're talking about the big spiritual next steps you can take to take your spiritual game to a whole nother level. For two weeks, I'll speak on prayer, how to pray, what to pray, how things work, what happens when you pray, because I don't believe our church prays enough, and one of the big reasons is because people don't know how to pray. One of the greatest questions that the disciples ever asked Jesus is, how do you pray? We think if you become a Christian, you just know how. Well, the disciples hung out with Jesus for a year and a half before they finally said, like, what are you doing? How's that work? And, and will you teach us? So next month in April, I'm going to teach our people how to pray. And I want you to be here on Sundays. You say, I haven't been in church for a year. Great. Come next week again. Make it twice in a year. And we'll just go one week at a time and see how it works. Let me teach you how the Bible says we should pray. Start serving. That's a third way that you can begin to Step up spiritually and re-engage your life daily. And then fourthly, get committed to a Christian community. What does that mean? Join a small group, come to church, uh, go serve in the community. Do something for someone. You know, I I talked with a pastor friend of mine this week, and he said every year at Easter he wrestles with the thought on Easter Sunday when he knows there will be hundreds of people in his church on Easter who haven't been since last Easter. He said, you know, I, I face the thought of should I challenge them and worry about them maybe never coming back, or should I coddle them so they'll come back next Easter? And we were talking about this. You know, on, on Easter, do you, you know, do you like preach hard and challenge people to take the next steps, or do you just make them feel good and hope they'll have a happy Easter? And the perfect picture of the answer to that question came to me uh, in a story that I heard about a couple from New York. A couple in New York were garage selling. They went to a garage sale. They found a box with some old stuff in it, and they bought a, uh, a little bowl. I think they actually have a picture of the bowl that they're going to put on the screen. Do you guys have that, PowerPoint folks back there? Maybe. It doesn't look like that. That's it, J.C. There it is. They, so they found this little bowl at a garage sale. And they bought it, and they put it on their mantle um, and put some, like, little colored beads in it for two years. And someone came to their house one time and said, um, where'd you get that bowl? And they said, we bought it at a garage sale for $3. And he said, that bowl looks really old. You should go and get that bowl checked out. So they took the bowl to an antique dealer. The antique dealer looked at some of the markings, some of the symbols on it, kept it for a week and called him and said, you're not going to believe this, but this bowl is more than 3,000 years old. And it dates back to the Chinese uh, monarchy um, 3,000 years ago. Uh, And they ended up selling the bowl at auction for $2.2 million. Now, I thought about this question. Do we coddle? Do we challenge? Do we coddle? Do we challenge? Do we coddle? Do we challenge? And I thought, you know, it's not up to me. It's up to the people. You can choose to use this priceless gift Jesus gave you as a mantelpiece, as an anniversary. And you can look at it, and it can sit in your house, and Jesus can be a part of your life and have no value to you, if that's what you want to do. Or, or, you can take Jesus at his full value, and he's got enough value in him to change your life now and forever and for retirement and for eternity. And you can cash Jesus in. That sounds horrible to say, and I hope he forgives me, whatever that means. Um, because, you know, I, I don't want to offend him. But, but here's what I'm saying. Jesus can be worth a lot more than he is to you. If you, will, if you will use him for the purposes that he was created for. Jesus wasn't just created for Easter Sunday. He's created for every day. Jesus didn't just die so we could remember that one day a year. He died so we could remember that every moment of every day, and it could impact every area of our life. The question is, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Say, Christian, what are my choices? Three things if you look on your sermon notes. What can I do today as a result of this message? If I'm queued in and, man, you've got me thinking, what can I do? Number one, you can become a follower of Jesus if you have not yet. Say, what does that mean? It means something different for every person, to be honest with you, but it means that you believe Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. And he loves you. He wants to forgive you of all the jacked up things you've ever done. He wants to give you some inner peace. He wants to give you some outer purpose. And he he wants to walk with you. And that walk looks different for every person. It's a journey, which is why we named our churches. You can, number two, you say, well, I've already become a follower of Jesus. Okay, then recommit your life. Say, man, I've not been real engaged spiritually. Okay, then get back engaged. Say, what do I need to do? I, I think you just make a decision and you walk one week at a time in it. Recommit your life, not just your heart, to Jesus. A lot of you, Jesus has your heart. He does not have your life. Give him both. And then thirdly, make Easter count for a lifetime, not just a day. Now, if you are someone whose life is so busy that you can't come again until next Easter, we'll be here. We want you to come. We want you to bring people. We want you to celebrate Jesus with us. But that's the $3 version of Jesus. If you want the priceless version that changes everything about you, you've got to go to the right person, God, and you got to say, okay, I want everything that Jesus is worth in my life. And then and you just accept that, and you take that. What will your decision be today? Paul said, listen, if Jesus is alive, it changes everything. If he's not, I love what Paul says, and I won't read the whole verse, but in, in, uh, in, in verse 17 of First Corinthians 15, he says, listen, if Christ hasn't been raised, then faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost forever. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are to be most pitied. Paul said, if Christ did not raise from the dead, then Christians are the most pitiful people in the world. But in verse 20, he said, but he did raise. And I saw it. And because of that, I know it changes everything about my life. Will you let it change everything about yours? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. God, aware of the fact today that the apostle Paul claimed in 1 Corinthians 15 that the most important thing we need to understand about Jesus is that he died, he was buried, and he raised again. And because that is true, and as we watch it be true in the life of the Apostle Paul, because that is true, it, it wasn't intended just to change one day. It was intended to change our past and our future and our eternity. And God, I pray for the men and the women and the teenagers and the children in this room today that today you would do your life-changing work in the hearts of people. Lord, there are people who sit here every Sunday who have not fully ever given you their life. There are people who this is the first time they've ever been to a church. They didn't even want to come today, but something has grabbed their attention and they want more than anything to trust in you and, and to almost dare you to make a difference in their life today. Lord, if you died, and you were buried and you rose again, then today do a work in people's lives with every head bowed and every eye closed. Please, no one in the lo- room looking around. If you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You can't think of a time that you have said, I want to follow Jesus. You're disconnected spiritually. But today the fact that Jesus died, he was buried, and he raised again, and he could do this in the apostle Paul's life, and you need some inner peace and some outer purpose, and you want your eternal home to be secure and your future to be at peace? You say, how do do I follow that Jesus? Well, you just give him your heart. You say, how how do I do that? We do it in prayer here. It's really simple. You just kind of open up your heart in prayer, and you say a prayer to the God of the universe who's listening and loves you of your faith, of putting your faith in Jesus, and then you just ask Him to begin one day at a time to first change your mind about who He is in your heart and then to work to change your life. If you're in here and that's your desire today, you're sick of the turmoil, you're sick of the unknown, you don't even know what your eternity holds, but you want to nail that down before you leave this Easter Sunday. And I know there are some of you in here who are ready for this, then you just need to pray this prayer. I'll pray it for you because you might not know just the right words to say. And if this is the prayer and the feeling of your heart today, then today you lock arms with a God who raised Jesus from the dead and who wants to change your life radically. Just pray this prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. The God of the universe is listening to the prayer of your heart today. Say this, dear God, today I need Jesus in my life. And God, if Jesus died and was buried and rose again, then I believe he could help me. And if he could help the apostle Paul, I believe he could help me. So today, I admit that my past might be a little messed up or jacked up. I've not been a perfect person. I'm sure my life has been offensive to you at some points. And I ask you to forgive me and change my past. And God, today I ask you to take my heart and love me and shape me into what you want me to become and ask you to protect my future and my eternity. I give that all to you because I trust you. Today, Jesus, I'm yours. Thank you for loving me. I accept by faith your love and salvation for me today. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Please, no one looking around. If you just prayed that prayer today, and I know that many did, because many do it Easter every year. I know there are some of you who came in, your life was hopeless, but today you've put your hope in Jesus and life is going to be radically changed with every head bowed and every eye closed. In just a minute, I'm going to count to three. And if you just prayed that prayer with me, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that would embarrass you. Nobody's going to be looking around but me. But on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and just leave it up for just a second so that I can know that today God moved in your life and so that you can take the first step of telling someone, today I put my faith in Jesus, and hopefully we can help you on that journey together. So if you just prayed that prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, except for mine, on the count of three, would you just slip your hand up? One, two, three. Just put it up right now. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Anybody else, just raise it up for a quick second and you can put it down. Father, thank you for showing yourself to people in this auditorium today who said today, and they even told someone, today I gave my life to Jesus. Now God, I pray for all of those who in the past at some point have given you their heart. They've chased heaven. They think they've attained it, but they quit chasing Jesus. God, I pray that you'll kind of twist their arm behind their back a little spiritually this morning. Let them know that it's time to come back, get in the Bible, start praying, get in church, begin serving, begin chasing you so that they can live the life you've had for them. And just remind them you love them and you're here and this is a wake-up call. It's time to get re-engaged. Maybe you're in here today and you need to recommit your life. It's as simple, again, as a prayer prayer should go something like this if you just want to pray it in your heart God forgive me for staying away so long I'm ready to get reengaged help help me to be committed to do that today I'm going to recommit my heart and recommit my life to trying to get reengaged spiritually now father thank you for those today who have prayed to place their faith in Jesus thank you for those who have recommitted their life Be with our church that we wouldn't be a church that uh, has to plan special for Easter because the folks at our church are engaged every Sunday, not just on the anniversary of a big event. That's really more of an afterthought than a life changer. We need you. We love you. Thank you for being in our midst today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together.